We're in the midst of a series called Jesus, the Incomparable Leader. And many of you are leaders in your sphere of influence, whether it's at school or a business setting. Maybe you're in the world of academia or in some sort of not-for-profit world. Maybe you're a leader in your home or community. But you know, the problem with leadership today is sometimes you don't know whether people are following you or whether people are chasing you, okay? That is an issue. But one thing is for sure, there is a certain quality of leaders that if you were to ask people, what do you think of when you think of a leader? This particular characteristic would not show up on the top of most people's list. And yet it is vital. The Bible says, even if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have this particular quality, I'm like a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It goes on to say, though I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but if I don't have this particular characteristic in my life, I am nothing. And if I get of all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I don't have this particular thing, I gain nothing. And the quality he's talking about, of course, is love. And Jesus possessed loving compassion in abundance. So today, I want us to dive in together, Luke chapter 5, and I want us to see three amazing stories, and all of them kind of highlight, in one way or another, Jesus' loving compassion. And I believe that every one of these stories has a connection in some way to our life, and I think you'll see that as we go through them. Each of these stories has a lesson that we can learn. So if you are taking notes, you may want to jump in here. First of all, I want you to see that in story number one, Jesus touched the untouchable. Let's begin here in chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Now, leprosy came in all different forms and degrees of severity. This person, when he says covered, with leprosy. This is a key here from Dr. Luke, the human author, that this leprosy is at a very advanced stage, okay? So it's really overtaken his life as opposed to just being a little spot, perhaps, on an arm or something. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone. Now that may sound awfully strange to you. Those of you who are kind of maybe serious Bible students, perhaps you've run across this phrase, the messianic secret. Have you run across that phrase in any of your reading? Well, maybe, maybe not. But scholars often call this where Jesus does something amazing. And then he says to people, now, shh, shh, don't tell this. Don't tell anybody about this. Why would Jesus ask them not to tell? Well, 
usually it's because his time has not yet come. And he doesn't want the, God's agenda to get pressed and pressured unnecessarily. Opposition will come fast enough, believe me, and everything is on a divine timetable. And so usually there's a good reason if he says, Shh, don't tell anybody about this right now. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, we don't hear much about leprosy in our world. It, in this ancient setting, was an incredibly debilitating skin disease, and it still is in many areas of the world. If you want to read, in the Old Testament, all the regulations about how it was to be handled and managed socially, all the guidelines, you can read that in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. But among the other things it says there, someone with leprosy was to cry, unclean, unclean, whenever they were out in public or were approaching a group of people. So what this meant is that obviously, People with leprosy were ostracized. They were shut out from the public. They usually lived in leper colonies. So think of that. Isolated from family, friends, acquaintances. They lived very lonely, isolated lives. And this man probably loathed his very existence. And he was desperate, desperate for a cure. The thing that would have shocked you if you had been there in this culture understanding the stigma that went along with leprosy, the thing that would have shocked you is that Jesus actually touched, physically touched this leper. Because in doing so, it made Jesus himself ritually unclean according to the Old Testament law. By the way... What a picture that is of our disease of sin. You see, through our sin, we have been made spiritually, morally unclean. And a holy God cannot associate with anything that is not holy. The whole message of the gospel is about God in flesh becoming unclean and our sins being heaped on him at the cross. Jesus became unclean there as he took our sins on himself in order that we might be clean. What a powerful picture that is. But Jesus showed loving compassion. You see, compassion, friends, is your pain in my heart. Your pain in my heart. I take it on myself. Max Lucado, in his book, Just Like Jesus, ponders what a leper might think and feel. Let me read a section here from his book. For five years, no one touched me. Not my child, not my friends. They spoke to me, and from a distance, I sensed the love in their voices, but I didn't feel their touch. What is common to you I coveted handshakes, warm embraces, a kiss on the lips to steal a heart. I was untouchable. 
I was a leper and no one touched me until today. I'd heard that he was in the area and he calls himself God's son. Maybe he would hear my complaint. And then I saw him. And before he spoke, I knew that he cared. So from behind a rock, I watched him descend down a hill, and I waited until he was only a few paces away from me. And then I stepped out. Master, a flood of fear swept across the crowd. Unclean! Unclean! Someone shouted. I don't blame them. I was a huddled mass of death, but I scarcely heard them. I scarcely saw them. Their panic I'd seen a thousand times, but his compassion, however, I had never beheld. Everyone stepped back except for him. He stepped toward me. I said, Lord, if you can, you can heal me if you will. Had he healed me with a word, I would have been thrilled. If he cured me with a prayer, I would have rejoiced. But he touched me. I will. His words were as tender as his touch. Be healed. And in an instant, I felt warmth where there had been numbness. I felt strength where there had been atrophy. He could have healed me with a word, but he wanted to do more than just heal me. He wanted to honor me, to validate me. Imagine that. Unworthy of the touch of man, yet worthy of the touch of God. It's significant that Jesus chose to touch the untouchable. He could have done drive-by healings, you know. He could have gone by and went bing, bing, zing, zap, zap, zoop, 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 and just healed everybody. He could have healed the flu bug or whatever was plaguing that area, but he chose instead personal touch. The only person that this leper felt safe in approaching was him. And as Christ followers, followers, we've got to continually ask ourselves, how approachable are we? Do we come across with warmth or are we rather prickly and unapproachable? Do I seek to manage my image and impress people or do I eagerly meet them where they are and identify do I come across pompous, proud, on a high horse? Or do I humbly meet people right where they are, no matter what their socioeconomic status, no matter what their background, and do I show them the loving compassion of Christ? Now, folks, leprosy doesn't run rampant in our culture today. But there may be some untouchable category in your life. Maybe for you, it's someone who's sick or maybe the disabled and you just feel awkward and so they're kind of that untouchable category for you. Or maybe it's someone of a different ethnicity or background. Back in the earliest days of compulsory desegregation, a mother waited nervously her daughter's return from the first day of school. And as she arrived back home, the mom quickly said, oh, how was it? And the little white girl said, mommy, I sat next to a black girl all day long. 
And the mom said, well, what happened? And the little girl replied, we were both so scared, we just held hands together all day. How do you feel around people who are different from you? Maybe wealthier, maybe poorer. Perhaps they have what to you is like a bizarre hairdo. Or maybe they dress so differently, it just comes across as, wow, so different. Who are the untouchable people in your life? Here's the thing I want you to hear, church. This kind of loving compassion needs to begin with those closest to us. They need to sense how deeply we care, how much we love them. And the amazing irony is that often strangers feel that from us before our spouse does or before those closest. While she was coming out of a restaurant, a woman broke her leg. She fell and just broke her leg horribly. And the husband immediately called 911. And the operator said, hey, we'll get somebody over there right away. But where are you located? And the man said, we're on Eucalyptus Avenue. And the operator said, that's great. We'll be right over. Hey, sir, can you spell that for me? He said, yeah, Eucalyptus. It's uh, E, uh, A. No, 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 no. I, maybe it, U. And then in frustration, he said, I'll tell you what. How about I drag her over to Oak Street and you can pick her up there? <laughs> and sometimes there's almost that much insensitivity in our closest relationships. Not a lot of tenderness going on. So parents, how do you do with this with your children? When they're really small, they need uh, your loving touch in terms of maybe wrestling on the floor or a tickle or a hug or a snuggle. What about with your spouse? Does he or she get appropriate loving touch from you that's not sexual in nature. It doesn't necessarily lead to intimacy, but it's just showing I care. How about a parent or grandparent? Maybe for them it would be just a warm embrace that communicates I really care for you. I'm trekking with you as you get into this season of your life, and I know you have a lot of fears and maybe insecurities, but I want you to know I'm here. I love you. Genuine compassion starts with those we care about the most, but it doesn't need to stop there. I believe we live in a world where our technology has isolated us in so many instances from a meaningful, caring touch, even a handshake, even an arm about the shoulder, even just coming up and touching someone on the arm and saying, hey, listen, I'm praying for you. Now, obviously, we also live in a world where there's all kinds of inappropriate touch going on and even abuse. Just this week, we've been watching on the news as Larry Nasser, this medical doctor and would-be trainer, over or almost 160 women have come forward with allegations of inappropriate touch and outright Abuse, and he's been sentenced to 40 to 175 years in prison for sexually assaulting former gymnasts and various young women in his sphere of contact. 
But in spite of all the inappropriate and even abusive things that go on, we've got to remember that there is an appropriate touch that gives dignity and expresses love to people. Jesus modeled that not only here, but throughout his ministry. And the Bible challenges you and me as followers of Jesus to do the same. We're told in Colossians 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And Jesus modeled that magnificently. He touched the untouchable. But we read on here as this story progresses verse 15 yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and pray that says to me evidently the leper did not keep his mouth shut he did not do what Jesus asked and I don't blame him, really. I mean, his life has been changed dramatically, and he wants people to know. But you know the weird thing? Jesus has not told us to shut our mouths. Quite the contrary, he has challenged us to go into all the world and tell this story about how he's changing our lives from the inside out. He wants us to share freely. And that leads us to our second story in today's text. It's a story of amazing compassion, but also discernment. I'd put it like this. Jesus saw the unknown. And there's a challenge here for all of us to be discerning in what we perceive and not just be oblivious to the opportunities around us. Verse 17. One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat And tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now let's get the picture. These Pharisees and teachers of the law have been hearing the buzz about all Jesus is doing and they want to personally check it out. But their M.O. is criticism. They've also come to criticize this popular rabbi whose star is rising. Now imagine yourself in this room. The crowd is almost stifling as people are literally pressed against one another, and there's no way to move. But these guys have a friend who is paralyzed. He's literally, they have to bring him on a, on a pallet, on a stretcher. And they can't get through the crowd. It's just too crowded. And so you're standing there in the room, and suddenly this debris begins to fall from the ceiling. And before you know it, they can see faces through there. As the roof has been removed, and they lower their friend down. Now, this isn't the first time you've seen this. This was normal thing to do at a crowded funeral as they would remove the tile in order to lower the body, but this is no funeral. And all of a sudden, here this man on a mat is lowered 
in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, what a great phrase. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. What a great story. Now, traditionally in the church, we use this story as kind of a metaphor or an allegory for good evangelism. Let me explain what I mean. Years ago, when I first started preaching, I had a hot and ready sermon on this text, let me tell you, and I preached it many, many times. Can I give you the outline? Are you ready? Here's the outline. It's a bunch of words that begin with F. Here we go. First of all, these guys, to get their friend to Jesus, had to face their fear, and boy, don't we have a lot of fear when it comes to sharing Jesus. Evangelism freaks us out. It makes us all uncomfortable, but these guys overcame their fear and possibly even a fear of failure or rejection or criticism. They didn't know what kind of response they would get, but they faced it in order to get their friend to Jesus and introduce him. Secondly, they overcame their frustrations. The text is very clear that the crowd was so pressing here, there's no way they could get through. And inevitably, when we try to introduce people to Jesus, Oh my goodness, the frustrations are many. And boy, when I preached this, I preached it hot and heavy. I want you to know. And man, it was a good sermon. Because it's real. And everybody who's tried to get a friend or a loved one or someone to Jesus, they know what those frustrations can be like. And then they faced the barrier of the loss of finances. Because evangelism can get expensive. Somebody's got to pay for this roof to be fixed. But these guys were willing to do whatever they needed to do. Face their fears, frustration, loss of finances. No hurdle was too great to get their friends to Jesus. And then, of course, my final word was faith. The thing that Jesus saw and honored was their faith. All right, end of sermon. And I preached it hot and heavy. But you know what? There's a lot of truth in that old sermon. And that's kind of something we need to remember because I'll bet every one of us have somebody in our lives who's been paralyzed by sin. We're all paralyzed. But you have someone in your orbit or your network of relationships that God could use you to help bring to Jesus because they're spiritually disabled. We miss golden opportunities like this because we fail to see things the way God wants us to. 
for several weeks, a little five-year-old kindergarten student named Tommy had been telling his teacher excitedly about the new baby boy or girl that was going to be coming to his house. His parents had told him that you're going to have a little baby brother or sister, and he was excited, and he was telling his kindergarten teacher about this. And one day, as moms will sometimes do, his dear mom let him feel the movement of the baby as he rubbed his hand across her stomach. And the little guy, the little five-year-old was duly impressed, but he never even commented, he never said a word. But suddenly, he also stopped talking to his kindergarten teacher about it. He never said another word to her about it after he felt the baby inside. And so one day, about three weeks later, the kindergarten teacher said, hey, Tommy, whatever happened to that little baby brother or sister that was coming to your home? And Tommy burst into tears and said, I think mommy ate it. I can see that happening, you know? We miss out on so many things because our take on things is not completely right. And we start assuming things when we ought to be listening to the prompting of the Spirit. There are so many opportunities to bring people to Jesus and show his compassion. I received an amazing email from Pastor Mike Adams of our Saratoga congregation sometime back. I want to share it with you. And you remember the kingdom assignment we did last fall? Every week for a number of weeks, I would stand up here and read at least two stories every week of what God was doing through this incredible congregation of grace. And oh, what stories they were. But I just stopped reading them after a while. I didn't want to keep on just bringing those to you on and on. But let me tell you, they keep going on. So I do want to share this one with you that has continued and morphed and increased with great impact. Pastor Mike writes, this email is from Karen Trimmings, who is in charge of the Snack Pack food program for Saratoga schools. In short... One of the $100 challenges that was read a few weeks ago from Barbara Worston of our Saratoga congregation has turned into something truly amazing, and I thought, Pastor Rex, you'd like to hear about it, and indeed, I was thrilled. So Karen Trimmings writes, and I read now her letter, my husband and I have been humbled and overwhelmed with the incredible outpouring of support from the members of your congregation. The ripple effect of that $100 challenge has now brought in well over $6,000. Yes, you read that correctly, Karen says. $6,000 from members both locally and throughout the Capital District. We also have other members who've reached out to help in other ways. Karen writes, a few months ago, I was very concerned that we would not have enough money to make it through December. And then I once again was reminded to never doubt God. He always provides. Sometimes in the most unexpected and beautiful ways, like the $400 in an unmarked envelope from an anonymous member of your church who drove to Barb's house, handed her the envelope, and drove away without leaving his name. Never doubt God, Karen says. He always provides and it's signed, most gratefully, Karen Hall Trimming, Snack Pack Program Coordinator. 
what amazing things God can do when we're perceptive and willing to respond to an opportunity that the Holy Spirit brings our way. Jesus blessed this man immensely. What a gift. Because he saw something here. He saw beyond the physical disability. That was very real. But he saw something even more critical. He saw this man's spiritual need. And he responded in spite of the criticism of the religious leaders. Maybe Adams always went to a branch post office in her town to get stamps. The postal employees were so friendly to her. They knew her by name and they talked to her, showed care. And she decided to go get some stamps just around Christmas time when the Christmas rush was on. And she stood in an incredibly long line. And someone said to her when they found out she only wanted stamps, they said, ma'am, you can go right over there in that room and there's a stamp machine and you can get all the stamps you want and you don't have to wait in this line. And Mamie Adams said, yeah, but the stamp machine won't ask me how my arthritis is. Can I tell you something, Christian? There are people all around you that are looking for loving compassion. And God gives us opportunities. I tell you, it's true every single week if we're only discerning enough to see them and to respond to those opportunities. Jesus knew the true needs of this paralytic. And no wonder the people walked away saying, saying we've seen remarkable things today. But that brings us to our third and final story. And then we'll tie it all together and uh, draw our final lesson. This is a story of investment where Jesus dares to get involved in the life of an unlikely man and show loving compassion to him. Someone that is very unlikely candidate for that. Jesus approached the unlikely. Verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Now, many people in the Bible have more than one name. And it's true of Levi. He is also called Matthew and some of the other gospels. He is the human author of our gospel we call Matthew. But here, he's called Levi. He's sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, if you've been in church very long and heard many sermons, you probably know that tax collectors were despised, right? Kind of a no-brainer. Because they were among the most dishonest and crooked and abusive people in this particular Jewish culture. They were working for the Romans. And so they were despised by their fellow Jews, and they were virtually all dishonest. In fact, one Roman writer from this period marvels that he once saw a statue, get this, he once saw a statue to an honest tax collector. That's how rare it was. If you find one that's honest, you better take a picture. You better make a monument because it may be the only one you ever meet. In fact, their credibility was so low that in the Jewish court system, the eyewitness of a account of a tax collector was not even accepted because that's how un 
respected, disrespected they were in the culture. But Jesus approached Levi. Think of that. He goes to him. He makes an investment in his life. And the result is the same as we saw last week with Simon and Andrew and James and John who left, same phrase used here, left everything. Left his business behind, lucrative as it was, in order to follow Jesus. But I like what happens next. And this is what I want you to focus in on in our final minutes. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, oh, this is a great line. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I love Levi. You know why? He knows how to throw a good party. And you know what I wish as a pastor we had more of in this church? A bunch of Jesus parties. I wish we had a lot more Jesus parties where people have come to know him personally and now they want their friends to be introduced to Jesus as well. I wish we had a lot more parties like that. Levi is ingenious here. He has the means to do it. He has the home to do it. He provides this huge banquet, this amazing spread of food. He has found one who's changed his life, and now he wants all of his friends to know Jesus too. So here's my question for you. Who has God put in your network in your sphere of influence, that if you don't introduce them to Jesus, they're likely not to meet him. Who would that be? Because, folks, I want us to get this today. This is the whole reason we're on the planet right here. Levi gets it big time. We're to introduce people to Jesus and then help them get better acquainted. Nurture them, encourage them, help them any way we can through mentoring, teaching, discipling. That's it. That's the whole purpose. We're on the planet. Levi gets that. Who is it in your sphere of influence that you could help introduce to Jesus? You say, now, pastor, will it always turn out this well? Will people always warmly embrace us and welcome us when we try to introduce them to Jesus? Good question, and the answer is definitely not. January of 1956, five sharp young men tried to introduce a violent Ecuadorian tribe of native peoples to Jesus, and they were speared to death. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Roger Udarian, Ed McCulley, and Peter Fleming were passionate to introduce people to Jesus, and it did not turn out well. And occasionally, occasionally, when you try to introduce someone to the Lord, you know what? You may be rejected. You may be criticized. You may be dismissed, but that's okay. As in the case of these five zealous missionaries, you know what? God even used their death, as someone said, 
Tertullian, I think, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. God used the blood of these five young martyrs to be the seed. And members, even the murderers from that tribe eventually came to Christ and came to understand what forgiveness and God's grace is all about. So there you have it. Three amazing stories. And we see ourselves in these stories. Think about it. Our sin has made us untouchable. But Jesus came, our sins were heaped on him. He became unclean so that we could be clean. And again, all of us, just like the paralytic in our story today, have been paralyzed, as it were, by sin. We can't get to God on our own. But God can use others. God can use us when we come to know him to help bring people to Jesus. And oh, once we've met him like Matthew did, we can spend the rest of our days introducing people to Jesus Christ and telling his story. Folks, that is loving compassion and that is a life worth living. Father, thank you for these amazing stories of the compassion that Jesus showed people while on this earth. We know that there are many open doors for us as well, many opportunities. Help us to have eyes to see them, sensitivity to see what you're guiding us to do. And may we, Lord, when we do have those moments, may we show them who you are. May we introduce people to Jesus and then help them become better acquainted. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Rex. Well, the-